Hey, this is Chris. Just a quick note up top today. In the middle of today's otherwise very character-oriented episode, I kind of went off on a tangent about the internal structure of Shadowloo and like how the different ranks relate to each other. I think it's interesting, but I am enough of a realist to acknowledge that uh, many listeners may feel ill-served when a Street Fighter podcast spends minutes on end trying to parse an org chart. So I've kept that material, but I moved it out of the main episode. So today, if you listen past the closing music, there are a few minutes of me grappling with the regional organization of Shadowloo just for the hardcore listener. And the rest of you can just stop listening at that point and be spared the distraction in the middle of your action-packed Street Fighter podcast experience. That's all. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, warriors, to MDC. In this series, I'm examining every single goddamn page of the Secrets of Shadowloo supplement for the Street Fighter storytelling game, intent on uncovering the single biggest secret on each page. Every episode covers one page, Every episode is short. Secrets of Shadowloo was published in 1994 by White Wolf Game Studio. Today we're discussing page 40 of Secrets of Shadowloo. We are still in the Shadowloo Warriors section, and we're discussing one of Shadowloo's elite beta teams, Dragon Rising, uh, which consists of elite street fighters, kind of, uh, more on that later, but uh, certainly well-respected, successful street fighters uh, who've gained high positions in Shadowloo, who are trusted, who know all the evil they're doing, they're bad, they know they're bad, and they've climbed pretty far up the pyramid of badness that is Shadowloo. Today we're discussing the final Street Fighter on that team, and uh, <laughs> it's slightly awkward. There's a class of jokes I'm not going to make today, so let me just lay out, without comment, some facts about this character before we really get started. Uh, her name is Corona, she's stationed in Washington, D.C., and she specializes in killing politicians. I have no comment about any of those things. I'm fortunate in not having to make any distasteful jokes uh, about any of those topics because we have other things to talk about on today's page, other quandaries. Corona is a strange character, not quite the multifaceted, inexplicable mystery woman that Callista is, but there are definitely some loose ends. Uh, let's start at the beginning with Corona's origin story. Quote, she used to go to Vegas Estates with her mother, who was one of his servants. After the day's training was finished, she and some of the students there would practice late into the night, sparring each other. She never intended to get good at it. However, over the years, without any sort of formal instruction, she became quite impressive. She was so impressive, in fact, that Vega himself, while on one of his midnight horse rides around his estate, noticed her sparring with some of his best students. Not only was she holding her own, but this enterprising young woman had developed some of her own techniques over the years, which gave her an edge over his other students. Vega began personally instructing her the next day. I'll bet he did. Appearance 5, if you're wondering. So that's the background. She was the anonymous daughter of one of Vega's maids, and at the risk of being judgmental about other parents, this maid must have been into that real permissive parenting shit because she just brought Corona to Vega's mansion and I guess was like, oh, we're doing a deep cleaning on the sitting room today, little one. Why don't you go out and spar with the fucking assassins? But Corona benefited from this egregious lack of oversight, which would be a trend in her life, as we will see. She goes out and starts just fucking fighting ninjas. They're hanging around. She's hanging around. Uh, between classes, between bullfights, I guess, you got these burly, oiled up, beautiful, mustached men holding their shurikens and barbed nets and spears and whatnot. And they're just like, what the fuck? I got a minute. I'll fight a high schooler. You know, she's a sophomore. She's in fucking algebra too. But I'm not going to get worse at ninjutsu if I kick her ass. And so uh, she fights them for years and years, develops many of her own techniques. 
At first, I thought this was in reference to her hair throw special maneuver, which is a special maneuver from the core book where you sort of flip over somebody, land behind them. But as you're flipping, you like grab their hair. And then when you land, you kind of throw them over your head so that they land in front of you. This is not a Spanish ninjutsu move. She paid a premium for this move, but it makes perfect sense because it says in the core book that it was invented by a Mongolian tribe for use on uh, thieving marauders. Quote, seeing that the marauders wore their hair in long locks, the tribe invented a technique for running at a horseman, flipping up and over the horseman's head, grabbing his hair from behind and throwing the marauder off his horse. You know who's got even longer, stronger, more luxurious braids than a thieving marauder ravaging the countryside of Mongolia? Spanish ninjas, that's who. Long, thick, luscious braids. So naturally, Corona, being an opportunist, learned to throw people by their beautiful fucking braids. Initially, I thought that's all it meant when it said, you know, she developed her own moves. But also, there's a move called Jumping Kick on her moves list on this character sheet that is not a move. It is not found anywhere. It's nowhere in this game line, and its stats don't match up to any move either. So it's not like it's just the wrong name for something that does exist. Uh, this is definitely a move that isn't in the game. And she's got another one too, called the quote, long foot sweep, which is pretty similar to the forward slide kick that's a part of Spanish ninjutsu, but not exactly the same. In both of these cases, though, I have no idea what these moves are. A uh, jumping kick is too vague. I mean, there are lots and lots of jumping kicks. I can readily imagine a jumping kick, but which one? Uh, and then conversely, I have no idea what is meant by long foot sweep. I feel like no matter what foot sweep technique you use, you have the same length of leg. Yogi's excluded, obviously. But yeah, I, I have no idea what either of these moves are. Not only are they new to Spanish ninjutsu, nobody else has them. There are no rules for them. So she is an innovator. I have to give Corona that. She is, dare I say, novel. But that is not enough to explain how she has ended up in the position she is in. Get this. Quote, now Corona travels all over the world handling contracts from Chateau. Most recently, she has been acting as a liaison for the crime boss and regional counselor of Washington, D.C., some have speculated that she herself has replaced the crime boss and now oversees Chatelou's interests in that city. The situation described in this paragraph gets fractally more fucked up the closer you pay attention to it. First of all, most recently she has been acting as a liaison for the crime boss and regional counselor of Washington, D.C. So, okay, crime boss, implying that there are other bosses in Washington, D.C., Makes sense. We know that large cities tend to have multiple bosses. D.C. is the 20th largest city in the United States. And clearly, there's a lot of governmental stuff Chatelou would want to do there. Remember, this was the 90s when sowing chaos in Washington was less like pissing in the fucking ocean. Corona acts as a liaison between one of those bosses, the crime boss, and the regional counselor of Washington, D.C. The most stunning thing in this paragraph is that she might be the crime boss of Washington, D.C. That word might blows my mind. Because it's not like she's this woman of impenetrable mystery in her background. We know exactly what her deal is. Quote, Corona is not a typical Spanish ninja. She is also not a typical 22-year-old foreign exchange student, and she is far from a typical political assassin. She's 22 years old, and she apparently is in the United States on a student visa. 22 years old doesn't give Corona a lot of time to go from coming to work at Vega's manor with her mom to running Chateau operations in Washington, D.C. and being a globe-traveling political assassin. So her story is a strange but short one. For her to waltz into Washington, D.C., the capital of the United States, 22 years old, book bag full of shurikens hanging off her shoulder, still a rookie at street fighting, rank three, and take over the city from its existing Chateau crime boss without oversight or permission would be bad oversight. 
for no one to know whether this 22-year-old foreign exchange student has taken over Washington, D.C. or not is fucking horrible oversight. Somebody's going to get psychically executed the day when M. Bison looks at his big diagram of the pyramid, checking to see who's in charge of operations in goddamn Washington, D.C., and sees a question mark there. Because nobody knows if this 22-year-old Spanish woman in orange tights killed the kingpin of D.C. or if he's just on a long vacation. That seems like something someone should know. But no, no one does. The secret of Shadaloo on this page is that Shadaloo as an organization encourages infighting. It encourages innovation. It encourages ambition and ruthlessness. It encourages people to try to rocket to the top of the pyramid. And what it doesn't do is put any kind of like barriers or even checkpoints even just little polite, you know, phone call check-ins in people's way as they try to ascend the pyramid. If rumors are to be believed, and they typically are in White Wolf games, Corona is in charge of all Shadowloo operations in Washington, D.C., and by all evidence, she has barely started street fighting or assassinating people. This seemed very fast to me, the timeline, right? Assuming we want to think well of Vega, right? He's a murderous, arrogant prick, but he's not sitting there on his horse in the fucking moonlight, ogling a high schooler. Let's give Vega the benefit of the doubt and assume that Corona is at least 18 by the time he starts seducing her slash training her to kill. That gives her four years to get from being an untrained daughter of a maid whom Vega happened to see from atop his magnificent steed one night to being the crime boss of Washington, D.C. Obviously, there's some training time in there before Vega released this little baby chick of an assassin out to go conquer the fucking world. So she didn't spend that whole four years street fighting. So I kind of got curious, like, how good and how long is her street fighting record? Uh, what kind of XP does she have? Like, if you were to build her as a character, what level of PC would fight her? Basically, how long has she been on the international criminal scene? So I checked into her rank, and I also reverse engineered her little character sheet to figure out how much XP you would need to build her up from starting character stats. I left out her abilities because, you know, as an NPC, you have whatever abilities the GM needs you to have. I just accept that. But in terms of combat abilities, since this is Street Fighter, NPCs who are meant to be antagonists actually do need to have equivalent combat ability to a player character of the same rough experience level, because in all likelihood, whatever beef they have with the player characters is going to be resolved at some point by a street fight, and you want that fight to be neither impossible nor a pushover. So Street Fighter is a rare game where you want a villainous NPC to be pretty much exactly as effective in combat as one player character who might go up against them. So yeah, in terms of just her combat abilities, her attributes and everything, I just pulled it apart. Here's the first thing, and this is this is shocking. Corona, the street fighter who runs Washington, D.C. for Shadowloo, has had between 10 and 14 street fights ever. If she'd had more than that, then she would be rank four, unless her winning record were dismally low. Like if she's won under a quarter of her matches, then she might have more matches under her belt than that. But in fact, 10 to 14 seems about right. If you look at her XP level, through a complex series of mathematical contortions that I will not bother to explain here, I figured out from the XP section of the Street Fighter core book that probably this game expects player characters to have like formal street fights with a win or a loss in around three quarters to four fifths of Street Fighter sessions. And indeed, a player character who at that rate of advancement has had about 14 street fights would be equal to Corona's rank, rank three, and would have earned XP to put them on par with her. Obviously, the math here is a little inexact, uh, given that Corona has two martial arts moves that have never been mentioned before and will never be mentioned again, and I don't know what they are. 
But yeah, like for sure, she's had between 10 and 14 street fights ever, assuming that she's got a winning record in street fighting. And XP wise, she's a match for a street fighter player character who's been in around 14 to 20 sessions of play. So that's like four or five months in real time if you were playing weekly Street Fighter sessions. It could easily be less on the in-game calendar, but let's just say that for the character, it's five months. I think it is entirely plausible by the mechanics of the game, by the personal history that we've seen from Corona and her backstory, her fight record. It's entirely possible that Vega only sent Corona out into the world as an assassin, fresh from ninja slash bullfighting training five months ago. And in that five months, she has gone from having her first street fight to running Washington, D.C. for Shadaloo without necessarily Shadaloo's consent or knowledge. That's the kind of advancement. That's the kind of upward mobility you've got in the Shadaloo pyramid. If, and this is crucial, you are very hot and Vega sees you at midnight while he's riding around his estate on horseback. It's all about who you know. It is entirely about who you know. Akazan, now a world religious figure, as we saw earlier. Why? Because for some reason, some negligent Shadaloo chief of staff let him have a personal meeting with M. Bison and ask him for a budget to start a religion. It's about personal relationships. It's about networking. And this goes beyond the sort of celebrity gossip factor of just being involved with a world warrior, like we were talking about the other day. I don't think Bison has any shortage of people in the Shadaloo pyramid who have had intimate relations with Vega. He's not looking for hot Vega gossip. That's not what this is about. This is about the fact that fundamentally, Shadaloo has no control over its own internal structure, at least at a micro level, and it is purely about being in the room with other powerful people. We see this even with uh, Lord Montgomery, the Dragon of Europe. How did he become the Dragon of Europe? Well, he knew this witch who kind of became magic buds with him, and she was an overlord, and because he knew her, he was able to kill her and become the new overlord. And then as an overlord, he got to have annual meetings with M. Bison, and once he started taking meetings with M. Bison, before you know it, hey, there's an opening do you want to run Europe? You know, the old maxim is, uh, don't ask who will let you, ask who will stop you. And the lesson of the day is, in Shadowloo, the answer to that last question is no one. No one ever. It's kind of an upside to operating in this chaotic, violent organization. If, while you're going about your routine of crime and murder, Vega sees you and thinks you're cute, or Balrog meets you and thinks you're a funny person, you too could be the secret ruler of Washington, D.C. by, like, this time next May. However, it's not just about reaching your destination in the evil Shadaloo pyramid quickly. It's about the journey. Your strange, strange time with Shadaloo is what it's really all about. Join me next time for a long life well spent on weird crime on MDC. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret Patreon-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that RSS feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact or check out the show wherever you want. I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, Podbean, your favorite podcatcher, etc., etc. Street Fighter and all associated trademarks are property of Capcom. This season's theme music, used under a Creative Commons license, is City Lights at Night by Revolution Void, whose work you can find at sites.google.com slash view slash Revolution Void, or at freemusicarchive.org slash music slash revolution underscore void. Thanks for listening. Now get lost. You can't compare with my power. Just when I thought I had this pyramid figured out, 
the regional counselor of Washington, D.C. I'm about ready to throw in the fucking towel with this regional council shit. I mean, I know I've talked a lot about this pyramid. It just it bugs me in a way that no doubt it does not bug you because I'm the one stuck with this fucking book day after day. But back in the purple section, they told us that bosses answer to a council that settles differences between bosses. My presumption was that council was made of bosses because we know that bosses work directly for overlords and an individual overlord, assuming they haven't been hitting the fucking cloning machine too hard, is not a council. So there are bosses, they form a council, the council decides disputes between bosses, and then the overlord directs the bosses directly from overhead. It's practically in the name. All the words make sense together. And then here comes Quasso earlier on in this team. He's a crime boss. But he's not a boss of a region. He's a boss of a smuggling operation in a segment of China. And he sits on the regional council and often works directly with the overlord. So all that made sense to me. Okay, he's a boss. He's on the council. It's kind of odd that all of Asia has one overlord, but at least the regional council was what I thought it was. Even if there is some question as to how it kind of fits in the cracks in the pyramid between the overlord and the boss. Now here comes Corona acting as a go-between between one of the bosses of Washington, D.C. and the, quote, regional counselor of Washington, D.C. Why does Washington, D.C. have one regional counselor? Like, if a city is big enough to have multiple bosses, then surely all those bosses should be on the ruling council. Unless the regional council is more selective, and it's only certain bosses who sit on the regional council, so maybe, like, there's one delegate from Washington, D.C., which doesn't seem like a great system given that part of the council's job is to determine disputes between bosses. It's weird to have exactly one boss there from every city where these factions are fighting, but whatever. But then it says that Corona may or may not have replaced the crime boss of Washington, D.C., and might therefore be in charge of Shadaloo interests in that city full stop. So now there's only one boss in Washington, D.C., I guess, at least only one who's in charge of Shadaloo operations, which, number one, doesn't seem to be right for Washington, D.C., and number two, leaves no way I can see for there to be both a regional counselor of Washington, D.C., and one boss who is in charge of everything in Washington, D.C., but they're different people, unless the regional council isn't made up of bosses after all, and is like a whole undocumented layer of the pyramid between overlords and bosses. Fortunately, we have an escape hatch out of this whole issue, at least on this page. Regional counselor is spelled regional C-O-U-N-S-E-L-O-R. If it were spelled with two C's, that would be someone who sits on a council. Spelled with an S, that's a counselor like Counselor Deanna Troy. So I'm just going to assume that Shadaloo assigns every territory not only a bevy of backstabbing bosses, but also a designated therapist, the regional counselor. And Corona's been availing herself of that counselor's services to do a little work on herself on the side while she's killing world leaders and taking over Washington, etc., etc. 